Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com podcast. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this week, our guest is Paul Donovan, who is the founder of Donovan Legal PLLC. Welcome. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me. So, Paul, tell us, what was it that, that made you decide to, to, to get into law and become an attorney? Sure. Uh, my father, uh, you know, you, you've probably heard this story. Um, um, I come from a line of uh, people in the legal profession. My brother's an attorney. My father was an attorney for 50 years up in Boston. Um, my grandfather worked in the district attorney's office up in Boston. So it's a lineage thing. Uh, so uh, a, a classic way of finding your way into the legal profession. Um, uh, when I was in high school, my dad asked me, he said, you know, what do you want to do for a living? Uh, you know, typical father-son conversation. I said, well, daddy, you know, I want to be a lawyer just like you. And he said, well, okay, you can't be a lawyer just like me anymore. Now you have to specialize. So what do you want to, you know, what do you want to specialize in? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, what are you good at? I said, math. He said, okay, tax law. Perfect. So um, I, I found, uh, you know, I was very good at the numbers. And so I became a CPA and an attorney, but I also love real estate. So I found a, a niche focusing on real estate tax law. Gotcha. So that's a, a whole lot of education going around in there before, <laughs> before you really get going, right? Yeah, yes. a lot of tests, right. <laughs> a right. lot of years. So, you know, I guess what, what about the real estate uh, intrigues you? They kind of got you to where you specialize in that. Yeah, I've always, I just like the, the 3D nature of real estate. I've always enjoyed the brick and mortar. Um, you know, it's, you can touch and feel and see, uh, you know, the work that you are working on, you know, the, the projects that your clients are um, uh uh, you know, uh, doing in, in uh, you know, various uh, countries and various locations. It's very, uh, it's very 3D. Um, and I actually, I did a little bit of real estate development myself. So I, I enjoy the whole creative process of the real estate cycle from concept to completion, working with, uh, uh, you know, the vision of your clients and what they see and, uh, you know, how uh, each piece of real estate to them, every project is just a blank canvas. You know, and uh, what they're able to do with it. Uh, it's fascinating how they're able to, you know, change space. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the common mistakes that you find people are making when they're getting into 
uh, you know, investing in, in the real estate market and then also, you know, if they get into the development side of things? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as with any uh, entrepreneur, usually the mistakes that they're making at the beginning is not putting together the proper advisory team before they move forward. Um, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the Squid Game that was on Netflix. Yep. Okay, there's a contest in the Squid Game uh, where the contestants have to go from one platform to the other and they have to go uh, step on these glass steps. And if they step on the wrong glass step, well, they fall to their demise, right? right. But there was one contestant who actually was a glass maker and he can tell which of the steps was tempered and will hold them and which wasn't. Well, it's a lot easier when you're operating a business if you know which step to take. And if you listen to your advisor who tells you, this is the one that's tempered, this is the one that's not, as you're going through the, uh, the concept and the formation and the operation of your business. So the mistake I see clients uh, making is not consulting their advisory team before they take those steps. So now you're, you're you know, I, I talk all the time about having you know, your financial team, and I'm going to assume here that, that your advisory team is going to be a little bit different than what I say that is a, your finance team. So in the, on the real estate side of, of things, who would you say would be, you know, on your advisory team? Well, yeah, I mean, a typical advisory team would certainly include your lawyer, your accountant, um, both, both your financial accountant and your tax accountant, mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're just your financial advisor, you know, uh, because uh, uh, real estate investing often involves uh, taking on debt uh, and uh, uh, taking on investors. So you need to know somebody who knows finance very well and is able to, uh, to uh, use their resources and contacts in, in uh, getting investors to invest in your project. So that's the team you should you should have in place and ready to go whenever a decision needs to be made. You want to consult them beforehand. Clients always like to consult in hindsight, right? You know, we, you know, the, uh, the mistake I always see clients make. It's not the questions that they're asking; it's when they ask the questions, right? Ask first before you take the next step. Uh, oftentimes, and I'm sure you've seen this, clients will ask in hindsight, "Hey, I just did this. I just bought this property. I just formed this entity. What do you think?" What should I do? Uh, well, I think you should have called me first before yeah. you put your real estate into a C corporation, right? Right. <laughs> right. What, uh, what are some of the, you know, we, because you've been doing this for a number of years, you've run across a bunch of different, um, you know, individuals from ones that are savvy and what they're doing and ones that aren't. What are some of the biggest fears that they have and how do you help them overcome those fears? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> It depends. In the beginning, you know, from a tax point of view, you know, everybody's fear is an IRS examination, right? So I try and uh, allay those fears by saying, first of all, you know, the chances of being audited are very low. But with proper compliance and proper planning, even if you do get audited, you know, you're, you, we manage your tax risk exposure by doing the proper planning and the proper compliance. And so, you know, you really shouldn't be worried about those things, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, but from a legal point of view, uh, I, I see the biggest fear is the unknown. Like a lot of times, clients, while they may know real estate, right, they may know how to build something, they, you know, they may know the real estate market, you know, uh, real estate developers can come from various different backgrounds. But when they actually start doing it, they realize there's a lot more involved. There's a lot of legalities, a lot of papers, a lot of contracts, and sometimes it can be very overwhelming to them. Um, and so what we try and do is simplify the process and take away a lot of the, the jargon and, you know, and focus on what's really important, you know, because, 
the paper the paper can be involved in a real estate deal you can stack high and that can be very overwhelming to a, especially a new entrepreneur in real estate right so you know in, in that scenario that you're talking about about you know the volume of paper and, and things like that um and, and you even said it that you know this is your specialty um you know and it sounds like your dad gave you some really good advice in the fact of hey you need to find a specialty um you know because many times you know we do think or at least people think that you know oh you're an attorney you can do everything <laughs> you know can you can you kind of talk a little bit on that and why it's important to have you know a professional like you you know if if you want to get involved in real estate to have a professional like you to help them sure another professional like a medical professional okay well not every doctor is a brain surgeon okay right. not every doctor uh does everything same thing with lawyers you know uh nowadays the law is so complicated so vast you know uh lawyers must specialize it, even in tax law you know in tax law you have you know co corporate specialists pass-through specialists you have you know estate planning specialists you know uh just because the, the volume and the depth and the complexity of the law is so just so vast um so it's very important when you're putting together your advisory team that you put together the appropriate advisory team, lawyers, accountants, financial people who have expertise in your industry, real estate, um, uh, you know, corporate lawyers, uh, tax lawyers, um, the contract lawyers, but not just any old contract. You want contract lawyers and tax lawyers and, and professional, uh, professional advisory accountants who know real estate because real estate is very specialized. Right. So, you know, going through COVID, um, I know at least in, in our area, there's a lot of, you know, commercial real estate that's sitting empty right now, um, yes. you know, because of, you know, various different reasons. How are you helping people combat that when, if they're coming to you now and saying, hey, I wanna, you know, I, I wanna develop something? Um, well, I mean, uh, one one person's problem is another person's opportunity, right? right. So while while the, their, uh, the uh, current owners um, may be sitting on a, you know a piece of property not generating re revenue but has a high amount of debt, that creates an opportunity for a client looking to come in and buy out. So uh, in the commercial real estate, um, we're telling you know our clients coming to us and we're saying be patient and be selective, you know, because you're in the driver's seat right now. You can be patient and selective. Choose your properties wisely, choose your locations wisely, and make sure you know exactly what you want to do with that property and what you build out is. You know, uh, given the current effect of COVID, it changing the way that businesses are doing business. In other words, letting, uh, you know, professional services, especially, letting people work remotely, that's going to change their commercial needs going forward for years to come. And there are a number of leases that uh, are currently in effect that we don't know what is going to happen to those properties when those leases expire. Currently, they're under contract, but those leases are going to stop popping. And we don't know what the effect is going to be on the market, the commercial market. So, you know, from, from a, uh, uh, you know, from a focus perspective, I would say stay away from properties involving professional services industries. Medical will always be there. Right. Those are good. Governmental will always be there. Those are good. Focus on those. Professional services, until this all pans out, you know, I mean, accounting, tax, uh, financial services, brokerage, they're all moving away from the downtown office spaces and they're spreading out right. and the dust hasn't settled from that yet. So I'm kind of telling clients to be very selective if you're thinking of doing it to those types of commercial properties. Right. 
What about the, the you know your clients that are looking at um, you know developing or they have developed uh, residential uh, rentals? Yeah, that's big. Now, uh, so I, I have a, a number of clients that uh, want uh, to put together private equity funds to invest in, in uh, residential rental right now. That's big. Uh, residential rental, residential condominiums, targeting, um, you know, uh, younger professionals, the millennials uh, that, are, that are just uh, starting, you know, forming families, getting married. Uh, that's, uh, that's a big market right now. Uh, you know, we, we see, and you've probably seen in the news, that the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of this country is coming up over the next 10, 20 years. Right. There's a number, there's it, it, a tremendous amount of wealth that's going to be transferred. A lot of that wealth is going to be used to buy residential properties from uh, you know, the, the, the beneficiaries of these trusts. So you know, the, the thinking is uh, from my clients is that that is going to be a very good market coming up. So, in, and I'm, I'm going to assume that your, that your answer to this is going to be people need to be patient. Um, but it seems like, you know, the, the current administration, you know, is continuing to, uh, you know, because of COVID, continuing to push, um, not letting people being kicked out of their, out of their properties and things like that, um, if they're not able to pay rent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's only delaying the inevitable. They're just, they're, they're, uh, you know, in my opinion, the, the, those kinds of policies are just building a, a bigger bubble that's going to pop eventually. Eventually, this is all going to revert. Uh, and the only thing that's happening right now is, is a large amount of debt is being built up by people who are not paying the rent. Um, uh, landlords are suffering as a result, and they have to deal with their their uh, banks who, you know, uh, you know, have, you know, having to renegotiate financing. Uh, it's only delaying the inevitable. Inevitably, we will have to go back to a normal standard. Okay. Uh, you know, renters have to pay your rent, landlords have to pay their mortgages. Okay, so we're only delaying that. Um, that, when that, when we get past that and that bubble pops, my clients perceive that there's going to be a nice opportunity to get into the residential market. Do you, do you feel that that's going to, right now, that that's driving down or will drive down the, the rental side of things that, you know, if, if people are patient and have the cash sitting on the sidelines, that they're going to yeah. be able to it, jump it, in? Yeah, if you're uh, if you're in a good cash position now, yes, yeah, you're, uh, and if you can get into a good cash position, you know, by moving uh, some uh, assets out of another sector and waiting patiently for the residential real estate sector, yes. What are some of the challenges that that you and your your business has faced during during this uh, COVID period of time? <laughs> well. Uh, as you may know, the, the legal profession is notoriously slow to adapt to technology. Right. Um, so COVID has forced uh, the legal profession to get up to speed and adapt to this whole new world of working remotely and using Zoom and Teams and, uh, and allowing and, and letting go of the control of, of staff, uh, letting them work remotely. Um, and uh, most importantly, the court system has had to adopt to this. I mean, uh, the justice system essentially came to a screeching halt at the beginning of COVID, and they did not know what to do with this. Uh, but now you're seeing uh, the courts, uh, they've adopted, you know, uh, using uh, Zoom and, and online hearings for, for trials now, for, you know, for uh, regular hearings. Um, they've uh, told lawyers that, look, you can use this in litigation for, for depositions. And I don't think they're going to go back. But the courts and the judges have realized that, hey, this is kind of good. This allows us to clear out our dockets a lot quicker, okay, and a lot more efficiently than herding everybody into a courtroom, 
and having them sit there waiting on their name to be called in a docket to clear out really minor uh, uh, issues that uh, usually clog up the docket. So I don't think uh, that they'll ever go back to the old way of doing things. For some things, yes, there are certain times when you need to be in court and need to be in front of a judge, and, and not just in litigation. There are certain times you need to be in front of your clients, you know, right. executing important transactions, you know, wills, trust. You know, well, when it's very important, you need to be there. Everybody should gather in a room and, and uh, talk, execute document. But there are many times when you, you just don't. So, um, you know, the, <laughs> the pain of, uh, of uh, not only getting your office to adapt to this new techno technological world, but working with other firms, right, in the courts, right, with their ad adaptation of this new technology. You know, everybody's kind of had to move together in this direction. Where do you see from a, from a legal standpoint, um, executing documents um, are, are going to go? I mean, because I've heard some things where you're going to get into where, you know, you're going to be on camera, I'm going to be on camera, and you're going to watch me sign things. And yeah. You're going to be able to notarize it that way. Do you, do you see yeah, that we, that's the way things are going to go? It, it is. It's going to be slow. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm using DocuSign as much as I can now. Um, and, but, you know, uh, executing uh, contracts, you know, there's a lot of old school attorneys that it's still like the wet signature in person. Right with the notary right there, right? Because, uh, you know, uh, the, the whole point of that is that when, if there is litigation down the line, you know, you don't have somebody saying, that's not my signature. I didn't know what I was signing. We didn't go through this. You know, it was too informal. It was online. Therefore, it's not an effective contract. It's not an effective agreement. And there's also statutory requirements, right? There's a lot of statutory requirements that you have to have certain in-person signatures and every state is different. Um, right. So uh, both the custom of the legal practice and the state statutes have to catch up to the new reality, you know, of the way we're practicing law. But do I see it going in that direction? Yes. Uh, we're probably gonna we're probably gonna have to see some litigation challenging this and right. see that the courts are going to enforce this new way of executing deals. And once that the precedent gets on the book, I think it's gonna take off. Because it, it's just, it's, an, it's a better way of doing business. I also think what you're going to see when, when that does take off, you're really going to see the ability to have a multi-jurisdictional practice take off. You know, yeah. I sit here in Florida, okay, but I want to form an entity, uh, you know, Delaware LLC with a client who may be in, you know, California, okay. Um, the, the various state bars are going to have to catch up, uh, update their rules on what really constitutes the unauthorized practice law in another state, you know. When I'm doing that, where am I practicing law? Am I here in Florida? Am I here in Delaware? Am I practicing in California? Right. You know, that's an open question that the states, yeah, they don't know what to do with yet, but they will, they will have to catch up to this new way of doing business. Yeah, I, I think that, that the next year or so, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of changes and it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, we were, we were using Zoom before Zoom became popular just because I do have clients outside of the state of Maryland. Um, and I've just seen it to where the clients like it even more now, um, yeah. because instead of them, you know, having to take a half day off of work to come in to have a meeting and stuff, we can hop on Zoom and you know, half hour. They're yeah. not the time traveled and stuff like that. It, it's definitely, uh, I think people have found that it's more efficient, and I think that a lot more people. You know, you talked earlier about you know people working from home and and, and you know especially attorneys. I mean, counselors the same way you know, uh, we kind of came into it kicking and screaming, no, my person's got to be here in my office. 
And we right. really have found that, that you don't need that because there are, you know, again, you can tell, okay, are you getting the work done or not? Um, right. So I think it's right. There, there, there are many ways to measure accomplishment, you know, production. You don't, you know, we're just so used to the old fashioned way of seeing someone work as a measure of how productive they are, right? Okay, well, their head's down and they're at a desk, they must be doing something. Right. We don't need to do that anymore. You know, we, uh, we, we can uh, fly by instruments, so to speak, right? Yeah, I think it's, um, you, you know, I, I talk with, with my clients and, and they actually tell me that the ones that are working from home, they actually tell me they're putting in more hours now than they were before because they get up in the morning, they go down, they check their email, they kind of get, get going sure. that way and you know they officially haven't even started their day um so it's definitely, i've heard that yeah yeah i've heard i've heard from people saying that they're having the opposite problem than people anticipated people thought that they wouldn't work as much from home and it's really the opposite they're not turning off the clock you know right. they keep working they're working after dinner you know they think well it's right here i can do this i can get this done i can you know so um i've heard people saying you know i have to force myself to shut it down yeah, and I, I think that, you know, again, good and bad with everything. And I think that that's going to be one of the things that we're going to find is, is that, you know, people aren't going to know how to shut it off, um, you know, and, and take away because a lot of them, you know, have, especially when back when, um, you know, kids were going to school virtually, you had the whole family in the house and everybody was in different places in the house. So, you know, the dining room table was your office. So, yeah. right. you know, I think that, that that is changing, you know, is changing things also. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we're good. it's a fascinating time that we're going through right now, uh, you know, caused by, you know, a tragedy of COVID, but it, it, the, the way it is going to force people to do business in the future is very fascinating. And it's going to be interesting to see the migratory effect of all this Mm -hmm. you know, on, on population shifts, you know, say, well, okay, well, wait a minute, if I can work for Apple out in, you know, California, okay, but I can work, you know, and I can work from anywhere. Well, now people are going to start moving out of, you know, high cost areas into low cost areas, right, to maximize the dollars that they're making. Well, that's, and I think that that's something that's going to be curious, you know, because I have a lot of clients that, that work for the federal government, and they're told they're being told right now that you know you're remote for the foreseeable future. So a lot of them are thinking about okay, hey, I'm I may move to some place that's not as expensive, but then the question is is okay if they're living in a place that's not as expensive, are they going to continue getting the same salary that they were when they were commuting in right. today? Who should get the benefit of those life choices? Right? Should the right. employer or the employee? Right? But we know it's kind of a negotiation, right? right. You know, um, there's a little bit of give and take. But at first, it usually the benefit goes to the employee, right? Right. So you'll get the benefit at first. Um, but it will be interesting to see how those choices affect compensation, you know, and expectations. You know, why, why should you get the benefit of my choice to live here? Why not? You know, but it, what it's going to affect is the concept of what's fair market value wage. Yeah. Well, and with, with the with the number of uh, of job openings that there are right now, yeah. um, I, I think it's going to continue favoring the the employee for now, at least. Yeah, right now the the, the employees have the hammer, you yeah. know, right. and, and the employees are the nail. And, right. You know, it goes back and forth, right? Yep. So, 
So tell us, what was something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out in your practice? Oh, uh, I, I've been asked this before, and it's the, uh, the fact that it's never too early to stop building your brand. You're, you can start building your brand at, you know, in high school, in college. Start filling out your network, building your brand, letting people know what you stand for. You know, what are your principles you values? No matter what you do, you know, no matter uh, what field you go into, but letting people know immediately who you are and what you stand for and what your personal brand is, you can never start too early building that and, you know, and staying in touch with people. So whether you become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, uh, a you know, financial advisor, you know, they'll know that you stand for certain things, certain principles and values, no matter what you do, and they can rely on you for that. You know, the, the, People like to work with people they know, like, and trust. So right. let people know that you're likable and they can trust you early on. Yeah, I think that, that, that that's definitely important. I think the other thing that, that you kind of said in there too is, you know, uh, talking with people and making sure that, that you continue that. Um, you know, I find with a lot of my, my you know, my son's friends, um, when they come over it's like okay i kind of make them stop and and actually talk to me and not just hi and keep going um because they're all you know doing this all the time and it's like yeah it's like no let's, you know we're gonna have a conversation put the phones away let's have a conversation yeah let's um, heads up who are you tell me who you are tell me right. what you, you know tell me about your background you know people stop forming opinions and judgment about you just based on that little bit of information that you give them you know and that stays with people yeah yeah and i i definitely think with the younger generation um it, it getting them to to look us in the eye when they talk to us also um because there's too many too many times like you said they're they're either this or they're just you know have their head down trying to talk to you and it's like no 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 look up here so i can look you in the eye and i can focus yeah yeah exactly um so Tell us a little bit about working with, with your dad. Um, you said that you know, uh, he's an attorney and you kind of are following in the footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he was, uh, he was my mentor, um, uh, my champion uh, early on. and gave me a lot of sage advice, you know, about uh, what practicing law is and isn't, um, you know. Uh, you know, he told me one thing we talked about, I think, before we started the podcast about uh, uh, not trusting the quote unquote experts. A lot of people hold themselves out to be experts. Um, and he said, you know, uh, always be willing to challenge their opinions. A lot of people, they may have uh, earned a reputation for being an expert, but they'll, you know, over time they'll get lazy and they'll just rely on their reputation. Um, so uh, always be willing to challenge them. Um, and you'll find out many times you were right to challenge them. So. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's a wonderful that's man. Right, uh, great he, advice. Yeah, really I was willing is. to speak truth to authority. Um, he was a uh, he was just a wonderful human being. He was in World War II, uh, passed a few years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, working with him was uh, the best experience uh, in my legal career. Yeah, no, I like I like that. Uh, uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because you're right. Lots of times, you know, people when they've been doing something for so long. Uh, they do, they do get lazy um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, pushing back a little bit, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, when you no. work, especially when you work with a professional, you know, pushing back a little bit and go, oh, well, why are we doing it this way? You know, type thing. There's, yes, there's times where it's just like, hey, you got to trust me on this piece or, or whatever. Um, but the, the, the pushing back definitely makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. And, and uh, you know, a, a good professional should welcome that. Yeah. You know, on the other side. I mean, they should welcome pushback because uh, uh, it makes you both better. Yeah. 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 I mean, I definitely think that that to me, staying sharp and having to explain why you're doing something does help, you know, keep you sharp. But then it also kind of sometimes makes you stop and, and walk back through it. And maybe for this particular person who's questioning you, maybe this isn't the, the right path for them too. Right, exactly. So Paul, we've gone over a lot of stuff. What have I not asked you that you wish I had? Um, I, 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 oh my God, there's so many know, things that's that endless. to ask, right? It, it, it's endless. There's so many, I mean, so many questions you can ask where we could stop, but no, I, I think we've covered everything, but uh, I, just to reinforce what we've really all discussed, you know, when, you, when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting out a new business, you know, it, like, like in real estate, you know, you can build the greatest house, most beautiful house in the world, but if it's not built on a solid foundation, okay, it's going to collapse, okay, it's not, it's, you know, so building out uh, a foundation uh, for uh, your business initially with a good, you know, a good team of advisors, okay, is extremely important, but hey, they're only as good as your willingness and ability to use them, you know, one thing I'm sure you've seen is that, you know, new businesses starting out, they're very cost conscious, you know, and they're very, you know, they're, and so they're very unwilling to pick up the phone and call that advisory team because they're concerned about the cost. Um, so I think if you can alleviate those fears and say, look, I'm not going to hit you for every single time you pick up the phone to call me, but I am telling you, we will have a much better working relationship if you are not afraid to call and ask me a question before you do something as opposed to after. So put together a good team use them don't be afraid uh to use your team yeah great advice um paul if, if people like what they hear and they want to uh, reach out to you talk to you get get some help from you how can they reach you sure uh well my website is uh www.donovan.law uh, my twitter handle is at donovan legal um, i'm also uh, a freelance writer for a website called simplifyllc.com on there, I write a lot of articles for small businesses, how to get started, you know, um, you know, uh, with a lot, a lot of good articles about what questions to ask, when to ask them to your advisors. Uh, so you can find me on there. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and if you, you want to be old fashioned like I am, you can just call me. My, uh, my phone number is 781-575-0055. Great. I appreciate your time today, Paul. Thank you very much, Gary. Great to be here. So today our guest was Paul Donovan, who's the founder of Donovan Legal PLLC. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.